Hello and welcome to episode number 21 of this podcast. My name is Elliot Greenman. My name is Alexis Enel. This week we spoke a little bit about capitalism, economics and mm, a few other bits and pieces around that. Mm. And credit, money, mm-hmm. time, responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then maybe just a bit of an introduction to having other people to intervene on the podcast. I think we've got a couple of people in mind who might want to come along to talk to us a bit more about those subjects. Because I think economics is quite an interesting thing. We're all uh, exchanging goods and stuff, so it's going to be great. And then primitive mm-hmm. thoughts and uh, preliterate societies and how is it we organized ourselves before that, really, before writing and things could be interesting as always if you want to follow like comment share whatever uh please do and uh we hope you get all the way through the podcast and enjoy it mm-hmm. it's a bit shorter this time around so it should be fine <laughs> <laughs> perambulations in franglais mm. Tell me what you want to speak about. Um, let me give that a second. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a few things that you mentioned the other day, like I would like to talk about econ- econ- economics. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe that would be better to leave for mm-hmm. maybe that person. Mm-hmm you'll find that you'd like to invite along or maybe when you finish that book that you're mm-hmm. reading. Mm-hmm. Krug, Mr. Krugman, um, Arguing with Zombies. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, he's a bit of a Democrat, uh, American economist. I think he had the uh, Nobel Prize in economics. So he seems to be knowing what he's uh, talking about. And it's a bit of a collection of essays that he's put in or little yeah, articles that he's put in the uh, New York Times and different bits and bobs like that, really. And uh, yeah, I guess all what we've been talking about... Um, comes down to people's need being met, really, and all the whole resources we have at our disposal, whether they are physical or, or innate or emotional resources, really. Um, that's the thing, really. So there is a bit of a, a part we haven't talked a bit too much about is economic models, really. And that's actually quite an important uh, uh, thing because a lot of unhappiness and discord in the world is a lot to do with the discrepancy in wealth there is in the world. Um, they are as well a lot of uh, discord and upset about how finite the resources of the earth is and the relationship we have with it when it comes to actually uh, profiting from that really in a way and in that economic model that we all subscribe to worldwide apart from maybe a couple of places on earth it's all about gdp and it's all about growth and uh, it's all based on that basically and growth is sustainable as long as uh, well there is enough uh, resources really so that's a bit the problem. There's only one Earth, really. So if we were to um, uh, live a bit like Americans, for example, all of us on Earth, the so 7 billion people, if we had a standard of living similar to American and we were behaving the same way economically as well as socially and consuming the same way, we'll need many Earths, basically. So it's not really possible. But if we were deal, if we were kind of living like uh, Indian from India, we'll need maybe with the seven billion people we are uh, we have on Earth, it will be quite sustainable basically. So obviously most of us do not have the average Indian from India uh, standard of living as a as a how do we say? Uh, aspiration basically uh, we all want to be like Americans basically and I guess a lot of 
uh, unrest in uh, the UK, in France, because we had the gilets jaunes in France and all those things, is a lot to do with that, the discrepancy in wealth between people. And uh, we are not too sure how to go about changing it, really, because it's quite difficult. Changing that discrepancy. It, that's it, that's it, that's it. And so we were looking at, uh, I don't know, like a housing bubble, the last crisis, financial crisis there was in 2009, how it came about, the certain people in certain line of work who actually in financing and in stock market in all those kind of things seem to be remunerated highly for a skill that is actually uh, putting the whole of us in a stuck really in a way really and they seem to be doing a bit the same thing if there's no housing bubble in the UK I'm not too sure what that is and the latest uh, um, thing with diminishing the interest rate quite uh, low and actually incentivizing people to carry on buying uh, by actually getting rid of the stamp duty is actually uh, trying to keep the whole bubble active because the last thing we want after that COVID thing is for the whole to go completely down and for less people to want to buy houses and for the price of housing to actually go down and when the housing price is going down the whole thing crumbles because people have refinanced uh, their debt on a credit card and the cars they bought and all the rest on their mortgages really with the hope that actually the mortgage was um, gonna the the debt they're going to have is going to be less in a five years time compared to now because the price of housing is going to go up really and it comes to an end and the government is whatever they're doing and they're trying to do the right thing, I'm pretty sure, but it's compounding the whole lot. So it keeps the price of housing lately in the UK as a increase by another 30 grand on average, despite the jobs of people, people having been on furlough, people, you know, like the well, e economy. Re recently. Recently, yeah. The news on the BBC, I think, I think I read that. Despite the recession, there's an increase in the average price of housing by 30 grand. Wow. In certain places, possibly. It's maybe a bit location-wise, like London or different places. But the fact that it's going up in places on average by 30 grand. That's it. It's not... Not, not representative of the situation of the situation in. we are in and in it in, enables people to think that they can actually refinance and then push a bit some of their debt into the housing and just remortgage and then cancel their uh, credit card all those kind of stuff with with the hope that the house the price is going to carry on going up therefore okay and therefore the proportion of your debt compared to the actual value of the property is actually minimized in a way okay so it looks like oh it's been cleaned on the clean slate really so there's all, all those kind of stuff and I don't really understand an awful lot about the whole lot there's something called ISLM uh, concept like uh, I think it's investment and saving and liquidity and money or something like that I can't really there's a big concept all those kind of stuff and maybe if we had uh, Patrick Van Dustin to come and talk with us we'll be able to expand a bit on those kind of things because it becomes quite interesting there's loads of interesting thing we can uh, get out of all that really so mm, that's that's why i want to talk about it at some point because i i really like numbers i always mm. really liked that at school and i think i understand a you know a very very basic uh idea of economics or you, you know a basic level we need to get people spending money again and i or quite pro that and quite uh, and i understand that but when it comes to like the bubbles and things that we fabricated and moving money around and how bankers make money from moving money around and investing it in different areas and things like that. It's like all seems like, well, really quite complicated. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like the only purpose for those kind of things is to allow people in those positions to earn some really big money. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, without being too cynical, that's part of that. But he enables Joe B as well to carry on uh, spending money and consuming because that's what people are hooked on, basically. So, yes, it's the banker's fault, but there's a, de a big demand as well, really. Yeah, of course. Okay, so... Yeah, the system and the banking system hasn't really been regulated or maybe is regulated, but a lot of it is actually pretty dodgy type stuff and a lot of people make money out of things that are not really very valuable in a way. But because it's, a, it's just, you know, my understanding of money is just a trade-off with time, really. Yep. You trade your time. That's it, really. And that's money, really. So... The main thing of consolidating your debt in, uh, with your mortgage, hoping that the price of the house is going to go up is a bit of a gamble about your time. Because if all of a sudden the price, the house price is going down by 20, 30, 50 percent or something like that, well, all of a sudden, your, the length of time you're going to have to work in order to be able to earn the money that you've just lost is going to be in hundreds of years, really. So you're not going to be able to actually do it in your lifetime, really. So does it really then matter, really? And is it just... That's it, really. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting. And with all that, there's obviously an environmental effect and our relationship with Earth, basically, <laughs> and our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with time, and our relationship with work, and our relationship with money, and our relationship about all sorts of things. How is it we, in that biopsychosocial model, how is it we meet our needs? Or how is it we think we need to meet our needs? And the beliefs we have behind that, really, you know? And... Mm -hmm. Democrats or more kind of socialist type people think that the state has to be a bit invested in the whole process and we make the state a bit of a bigger structure in order to direct a little bit what's happening with people and we tell them a bit more how to go about doing it. Or do we get a bit more of an, on a liberal and a bit more conservative type of thing and we diminish the size of the state and we let people go about and have a, a bit of a laissez-faire about the whole thing, really. And we hope for a bit of altruism. We hope a bit for a bit of reinvestment in different parts and all those kind of stuff, really. Do we trust people in a way, really? Or do we stress the state, really? <laughs> so the different models... Because at, at the end of the day, capitalism at the moment has had such a bad name because of the 2080 or the 1% or all those kind of stuff, really, okay? The wealth of the 13 richest people is as much as the poorest 2 billion, really. So it's completely mental, really, okay? But... The model has taken a good 6 billion people out of absolute and abject poverty over the last 250 years. That's quite a good thing, really. And then we talked about the fact that the UN had tried to actually diminish even more the number of people who were below that threshold of absolute poverty. And we halved that number for... For the first time today, there's the least people in absolute poverty that there's been since the 1700s. So obviously, the model works quite well. But some people in the UK and in France think that earning £25,000 a year is not enough and you can live on that, really. And uh, some people earn 750 quid a year. And they're above the absolute poverty threshold, really. Because that's $1.80 a day, basically. So once you earn more than £25,000 a year, you're part of the 1%. So there's numbers and numbers, really. So that's the thing, really. The Numbers are excellent markers, but only when they're given context. Mm -hmm. So it's always only like that. That one percent is such a beautiful little statistic mm -hmm. because, well, yeah, we're, we're essentially we're 
we're born into the one well no, I mean not quite but we basically are like because there's very few people who I know who are born who don't have the opportunity to earn over 25,000 a year mm-hmm. yep so it's it's an interesting thing. And what is it you do with that 25,000 knowing that uh, the price of property is going up and you can't afford it. So you have to rent and the price of food is going up and the flat screen TV that you have and the whole uh, thing from uh, the, uh, the sports channels is uh, that much. You have a mobile phone, you need the data, you need to get the whole lot. You got your council tax, you got your electrics, you got your uh, car, you got the leasing, you got the whole lot, you got the school cool you got your closing you got all the and uh, and on and on and on where is it uh, when is it that 25 grand uh, was uh, such a bad thing to earn really and uh, comparatively um, we don't live in a slum really and there's a uh, water you can drink at the top and when you push the button there's the light bulb goes and the roads are not too bad there's not too much crime out there there's like it's you know like the white king is doing the job not too badly really you're not in a slum in Calcutta really so and the slum in Calcutta is a little bit of a different place to live really so are we able to compare those two things or can't we or there's all that PC part in the background as well so it's super difficult when actually well there's some facts and there's some things about what is it humans need need in a way (laughs) so why have you been reading this book on uh, economics but that's it to, like try what, what, to try to understand a bit. What, what answers do you think that has? Well, there's no answers because there's no new model anyway. But he talks about zombies. And zombies for him are old ideas that are being reborn and are as useless, if not less, because they are not even appropriate for the time we live in, in a way. Okay. So he talks that a lot of economic policies are big zombies, really. So they are old fashion of looking at it and actually it doesn't apply anymore but we still think that that's the way the whole thing should be working really and this is kind of what bitcoin and the cryptocurrency was trying to trying to sort of create something new new yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. again i didn't really understand it too much but from what i did understand or not understand because i'm not the, there were, there's a guy called Peter Thiel and who was one of the co-founders of PayPal and a guy called is one of the Weinstein brothers mm-hmm. um, I think it was yeah, I always get them mixed up but anyway it's one of those two and Peter Thiel that was saying that it's just not the it's not going to work it's like it doesn't all need to it does need to change and it does need to come in that direction but the way they're going about it is 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 wrong and they're not big enough so mm-hmm. they're not even remotely big enough to even be mm-hmm. probably even on the bank's radars mm-hmm. for the best part they're not, they're not too worried and that got me thinking quite a lot because those two guys were are very um obviously PayPal is such a big financial company Mm -hmm. and obviously i would guess that they know a fair amount and they're Mm -hmm. both relatively liberal in their way of approaching stuff which Mm -hmm. i generally like Mm -hmm. and yeah that got me thinking you know our system i don't understand anything about it but it doesn't seem to work particularly well for some people Mm -hmm. although like you said the capitalist way of doing things is actually like a like when you pick up a piece of fabric Mm-hmm. And you pick up the top, and then the whole bit of the fabric mm-hmm. comes up with it. Mm-hmm. Capitalism has made some big, big people at the top, but it's mm-hmm. also brought everyone, including myself, mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. and the eleven people who listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. all of them, into a better position mm-hmm. of of potentially, potentially, yeah, potentially. If you uh, submit to some of the limitations, the whole thing has really. That's the whole thing, really, because capitalism comes with some uh, drawbacks, really. 
So we talked about conscientiousness at one stage and orderliness. We talked about uh, traits of personality and the way we interact with the world that actually are more conducive than others to actually succeed in a capitalistic model, really. No doubt. So, yes, there's... It's all, but it's, that's the thing, really. It's all relative. And if we expect the system to change to accommodate us, it's not going to work. We need to be able to change individually in order to change our, more, our compass on a certain of the needs that we think we need, the amount of the need we think we need in order to be able to uh, maybe live a bit more frugally, maybe be in less debt, can, and make well, a, f a few sacrifices in order for that to be the case, really. So, because, like, um, I take myself as an example, um, I work pretty hard, I've got a well-remunerated job, um, and the standard of living that it allows me is uh, quite good, and therefore I could think that I have to actually meet the whole thing by surrounding myself with goods that actually cost money, and I could actually uh, look at credit in order to be able to get that now rather than later. Because <laughs> again, credit is that really. It's about time. You can get your flat screen TV to watch shit on TV now, and you can pay later. But you're going to pay more later and for longer. That's, that's something I wanted to say, especially that's when it, you were really. saying that money, you see money as a trade of time. That's it. Because... We've spoken many times how I used to steal when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And that, so yeah, I used to steal. My dad always used to say to me, easy come, easy go. And my brother, AJ, who I think you mm -hmm. met, met briefly yeah. or something, he has always been the tightest person ever with, with money. But it means that he's got a bank account that's quite comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I was always terrible. I got myself in lots and lots of debt, over 20 grand worth mm -hmm. of debt. And... That easy come, easy go and trading your time for money is a really easy, is a really good thing for people to sort of, you know, rehearse, meditate on, do whatever you need to, to get that into your head because credit is trading your future time mm -hmm. and a future self and future self. And that is on the basis that you only, you only take, what was it? You only you only you you take high risks when everything the environment around you is is stable is unstable unstable yeah. and so when the environment around you is stable which it was before covid mm -hmm. you need to you need to save save that you it. need to save for mm -hmm. for a rainy day then that rainy day is the unstable environment which we we have experienced very much so this year or more people have yeah mm -hmm. or more people yeah correct mm -hmm. correct that in the western world in our mm -hmm comfortable little abodes in Gloucestershire and mm -hmm, Bristol mm -hmm. we've experienced that is a little bit turbulent mm -hmm. and you mentioned on our uh, podcast before lockdown yeah, that's that 60% uh, of people only have savings uh, I think £12,000 or less or maybe oh, no 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 £1,200 I think £1,200 it was, £1, it was yeah. and that's what I meant there's no saving and that's just that's quite an interesting thing. Like, think about the amount of time that that thing's going to take you to 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 pay back, mm -hmm. especially on a credit card, especially if you have to pay interest rates. Mm -hmm. And then there's another side of it, which is like a investment into the way that our biology and uh, neurochemistry works. Where we've spoken about motivation and reward. And this for me was obviously, obviously such it's one of the biggest eye openers from chatting away, perambulating with you mm -hmm. over the last couple of years in that if I really want something and I work for it, mm -hmm. instead of buying it and then working for it, mm -hmm. I, A, there's two things that happen. Mm -hmm. One, I feel much better when I buy it. Mm -hmm. I've, I've worked for it. There's a very logical, there's mm -hmm. a very 
black and white. Even if I've got the money there in my bank account to buy those pair of trainers or slippers or whatever mm-hmm. you want, it's still it's still nice to set myself a goal, right? Okay, this month I need to earn mm-hmm. 50 quid more to be able to buy those trainers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as a freelancer, that can be quite motiva- motivating to me. Mm-hmm. So that's quite nice. But then you also gain the mentality that mm-hmm. that little challenge gives you. Mm-hmm. So I now know that if I really want something if I want to buy a new camera or something or a new mm-hmm. lens mm-hmm. it's going to cost me a few hundred quid mm-hmm. okay well if I save up over two months and I work an mm-hmm. extra 10 hours both of those months mm-hmm. then I should be able to have the money to pay for that mm-hmm. but then I've already worked those additional hours mm-hmm. that's that's uh, additional amount of skill that I've got potentially mm-hmm. it's more mm-hmm. time on my job mm-hmm. probably additional amount of skill in planning mm-hmm. and then an additional amount of skill motivating myself and mm-hmm. realizing my potential so it's like through those trainers, there's potential that mm-hmm. a nice new sparkling pair of trainers, mm-hmm. I can motivate myself to buy. Mm-hmm. And not only have those trainers given me something that I can show off to everyone, uh-huh. all the sh- shit that trainers show off, uh-huh. it's also in me, in my mm-hmm. head, it mm-hmm. could even mean something more than just mm-hmm. what those trainers mean to other people. Mm-hmm. Actually means, yeah, I organise myself better. I realise I had a bit more scope for to be able to earn a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And all these other things that if you really sit down and plan it out, mm-hmm. that that motivation mm-hmm. might actually give you. Mm-hmm. So in buying something in credit, mm-hmm. and they said on the Human Givens course, mm-hmm. uh, the woman who took the addiction day, mm-hmm. uh, ca- uh, can't remember her name, mm-hmm. she said next time she talks about browsing the internet and clothes, and she had a real issue with it, and she, she figured out what she needed to figure out. She said next time you go to buy some th- something, just take a little note of your mood. Like, just see what mo- what kind of mood you're in. Because mm-hmm. more than likely, you might be in a slightly deflated mood. Mm-hmm. And that buying something is going to give you that little. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when you s- receive it, you get the same thing. Mm-hmm. But generally after those things, a couple of days away in those, whatever they are, mm-hmm. generally you don't really get too much more from it. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit the whole thing about the attainment of pleasure. So... Do you get more pleasure waiting and planning, getting the whole object of your desire? Or do you get more pleasure when you get it? And actually, the whole science is telling us there is far more pleasure in the um, planning of attaining that uh, good or that person or that situation, that holiday waiting for the holiday and having the whole kick of it is far more pleasurable than actually going on holiday itself. That's quite interesting again, really. So the whole um, way the economics is based on facilitates and and makes you think that getting the whole stuff is going to make you happier. When actually, which and is going to make you happier now. So you can have your flat screen TV today and pay for it in two years' time and pay five times the price it was two years ago when you actually end up paying it. Because <laughs> the price of flat screen TV is going to be far less in two years' time, in a way, as well. Because mm-hmm. more, more people are going to have bought it and the first people who buy it who've got quite a lot of money because some people buy flat screen TV and the first implementer and those uh, early implementer and the early people tend to be the one who can actually splash a bit the cash. And then by doing so, they actually decrease the price for the majority of us to be able to get that uh, good in a way. Okay. The first flat screen TV was quite expensive. The flat screen TV nowadays is even flatter and it's even cheaper. Okay. The same, and the obviously the same thing applies to everything. That's it. That's it. Tesla. That's it. And everything. So some P when is it you actually think the price of the wall good you were eyeing up is actually reflecting the amount of time you want to sacrifice to be able to get it. And that's a bit the tricky part because the, the way the financing system is put together completely sidetracks you because you don't, you can actually get it now. And that's a bit the, a bit the problem. Oh, you don't have to. 
that but you can. But you can. And it's and it's easy. And it's easy. And yeah. and this is yeah. I didn't finish off what I was gonna say. Mm-hmm. And this is my thing about credit. Mm-hmm. I got myself in loads of debt. It was mm-hmm. really easy to do. Mm-hmm. I'm quite proud of the fact that I took responsibility of that debt and I paid every penny back. How long did you? Uh well technically I only paid the last bit back at the start of this year, but mm-hmm. I thought I had paid it all off in November 2018. Mm-hmm. And I guess I started getting in debt. It took, it took me six, seven, six, seven years, but yep. you know, I would pay off some of the debt, the mm-hmm. debt would come down mm-hmm. and then, Oh, I really like that. Mm-hmm. And then, and so I, every now and then I'd top it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, Shame you don't have a, a mortgage. You could have kind of put it under the carpet and not even know that it was there. My house has gone a bit uh, more expensive anyway, so it doesn't really matter. It doesn't, the debt doesn't really exist, really. And that's a bit why the, the, the glitter in front of people's eyes, really. Um, to go back to addiction, because that's a bit of uh, facilitating addictive behaviors, basically. Every pleasurable behavior pursued to excess is an addiction. The way that the human givens worded it, uh, which I really liked, was this. Mm-hmm. Uh, every pleasurable behavior, behavior pursued to, to excess. excess is an addiction. Mm-hmm. And then the other way was uh, an addiction can be viewed as or defined by whether it is getting in the way of you getting any of your emotional or physical needs met. Mm-hmm. That's quite an interesting one because, again, bringing it back to the emotional needs, having quite a basic black and white framework way of looking at it, it's quite nice because it, it really does isolate whether something is getting in the way of you getting your, your needs met. Also, you think, or it also. it can if you're able to step back. Mm-hmm. It can because that's the problem, really. The control freak always think he never has enough of the thing he already has a lot of, and therefore he's behaving. His behavior is warped, and he's trying to pursue something to excess in order to try to fill some to try to supplement himself in control, which he already got a lot of already. Because that's a bit the walnut. You have already five pairs of trainers. You already have a, a screen in your hand. Why can't you watch TV on your bloody phone, really? Because <laughs> we can, really, nowadays. So it's, it's all that. I think that's, and that's where um, our knowledge about a bit the, our biochemistry, the whole framework we have with the needs and uh, emotional and physical and the resources we have at our disposal and uh, how certain of our beliefs tend to kind of stifle us and others tend to make us, you know, grow. Certain of our behaviors tend to be a little bit um, enhancing our ability to fulfill our needs. Others tend to stifle us and is to be able to recognize one or the other. We've got that really interesting concept of catexia and context blindness a little bit all the rest of those things, really. And we all have a different moral compass because we've come from different education and we've got different background, so to speak, and we've got different ideal and wealth and richness. It might be not the same for some and might be the same for others. And having a bigger car than your neighbor might be making you feel like you got more status. But... If it requires you to work harder, well, you've got maybe less time to spend with your kids. And maybe you can have a car after you, your kids are gone from your house. <laughs> or bigger car, because it doesn't really matter. You've got more time, you know, 
all those kind of things. Where is it? We put the wallet. You want to put your kids in private education because you think that they are way forward to be able to have a good job and have a better job than you and therefore earning more money and being more, having better status and meeting more friends and maybe your daughter might actually meet the love of her life who's a very wealthy man coming from a big wealthy family, all the rest and thing and you bleed yourself to be able to pay for that education which is well as much as your daughter is kind of or son is uh, engaged in it <laughs> in a way and yeah and it might not actually work really so you end up paying for something you can't really afford for somebody else who might not be at all interested. They just want the attention from their parents, but their parents is at work and their emotional need is not met. And the fact that you didn't go to private school is the reason why you put your kids to private school. That's, I mean, I warped. The whole thing is, really, do you do things according to you or do you do things according to your kid? <laughs> That's the whole lot, really. <laughs> I don't know. There's loads of bits and bobs like that. We can go on and on and on with all those discussions, really. Where is it, you, the moral compass and the limitation and the whole thing, really. It's, it's super artificial. It's The main problem is we have to... Uh, live with ourselves today, but we have to live with ourselves in the future today as well. And the future is made of others in a way. It's, uh, it's so it complicates things. We are, we are not horses and, and hedgehogs anymore. That's the whole stuff really. And it's not, it's not a succession of today's. It's really a peculiar concept, really. And that, so we could, again, maybe I'd like to get uh, somebody who works with, uh, who has studied a bit primitive uh, societies and primitive thoughts and all those kind of stuff. So we got, I've got one pe uh, particular patient, Mr. Holpike, Professor Holpike, who has done quite a lot of work in Papua New Guinea and in, uh, in Africa, um, in those kind of stuff. And, Uh, the whole transition between pre-literate and literate time, between hunter-gatherers and agriculturalists, all those kind of stuff. Um, we've got a very good book here as well, which is called The Master and Its Emissary by uh, uh, Mac Christ, I think. McGill. McGill Christ. McGill Christ, that's it. <laughs> My dyslexic thing. And the way we approach the world in different fashion, using different parts of our brain at different time, all those kind of stuff, the industrial revolution and all those kind of stuff, really modernism and, well, the postmodern kind of push that there is at the moment, which is a bit collectivist as well and a bit neo-Marxist and all that kind of stuff, really, which well, is another way of actually organizing ourselves in the world, really. That's the thing, really. So, and then when you look at evolutionary biology and you look at diploblastics, <coughs> antraploblastics, and dopamine, because diploblastics don't go anywhere anytime fast, the corals are waiting for the environment to bring them their miam miam compared to, so they don't have to be orientated at all, compared to the first worms, let's call them like that, uh, platelment, I think they're called, uh, 700 million years ago, uh, the first central nervous systems, you start to have a front and a back, and you have to orientate yourself, you need dopamine, and you need to orientate yourself in the world to get your miam miam, really. And so it depends only on you. The, uh, the limitations are brought by the environment and you try to get that really. So do we want a state that actually, and we, we expect the state to provide us with our needs or do we try to orientate ourselves and have a plan and have some tools in order to be rewarded ourselves? And the state facilitates that really. It's the difference between do we believe that we have rights or do we believe do we believe that we have rights as well as needs or do we believe that we have only needs? Mm -hmm. I don't know. We've got a duty 
to actually fulfill our needs. That's the whole stuff, really. And maybe the, and the rights are a bit of a secondary type thing, really. Well, I don't really believe that we're born with any rights, personally. Mm-hmm. I think we, there are some rights. There, there are some things that could be argued as rights. As a, as, you know, as a human, yes, we have the right to feel safe as you're walking down the street, things like that. But, But it's a luxury because it's not been like that for a long exactly. time. <laughs> and it's not like that everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it requires others to follow the same thing, really. And when we talk about getting our needs fulfilled, mm-hmm. there are a number of needs. Let's say a uh, total number of needs minus one that are a lot about us almost in many ways. And then the final one, which is what uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs was at the top, I think, which was... Need for something greater than you. A bit yeah, although his was something like the the need to elevate. It was something a bit more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mystical or spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the spiritual part or a charitable thing, something that yeah. is not involving you, S- but, but in involving, uh, uh, sacrificing yourself for others. Mm. And, and yeah, sacrificing yourself for others. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a nice idea to work through that. I'm not I'm not so keen on the hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. although I think potentially there is a bit of a weight to them. Even though human givens say that they're all equal. I'm not I'm not hundred percent on that, mm-hmm. but I'm not hundred percent on the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. But that last one, or what I consider to be the last one, mm-hmm. doing something bigger greater do, than, greater you. than mm-hmm. you. Yes, of course that can come in the shape of a sports club where you're also getting a load of other needs or church or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's quite an interesting one to really go in on later on in life when when maybe you figured out how to get the others quite nicely met, mm-hmm. you're quite balanced, mm-hmm. and then you're going to be much more able to give and more experience and, mm-hmm. dare I say, be mm-hmm. more valuable mm-hmm to help that individual or that community, mm-hmm. then at that point you can look outwards and then look mm-hmm. around the people around mm-hmm. you and help them out. Maybe it's uh, good to do that earlier in life. If people were taught as a, in a curriculum, in pre-school curriculum how to meet their need and how to use in a balanced fashion some of their resources and maybe not underuse some of them and being able to isolate that and be a bit conscious of that um, I'm pretty sure by the time you're 21 or 18 or 7 for some people they might be able to uh, have a good grip of how to fulfill their needs so it doesn't have to be something later in life. <laughs> That's the thing, really. At the moment, it's later in life. You go through the process of studying the human givens and you get the full framework and you're in your late 20s and I'm in my mid-40s. And you've seen some people in the course who were in their 50s or even 60s, in a way. And, and it's never too late. But there's maybe an awakening that might be required for a greater proportion of people to be able to know how to use their resources quite well to be able to fulfill some of their basic needs of, because there's needs, the ego-based needs, possibly. So if we were to weigh them a little bit, there's that need for control, that need for security and safety, and that need for status, which are the three big hurdles that you come back. There's a need for attention to receive and to give, which could be in between. And after you got your competence, you got your in, uh, social interaction, you got your privacy, your intimacy, you got all those kind of stuff. And then you get your maybe something a bit greater than you, which is maybe overarching the whole stuff. Once you've managed to fulfill all that, it's so much easier to be quite altruistic. So we go back to the whole economic model and some people, oh, maybe Bill Gates who seemed to have had such a bad job lately because people were thinking that he, there was a conspiracy, that he was actually the one who had created the virus to kill people so he could make even more money and all those kind of stuff, which is 
interesting because maybe they were not making as much money as him, which is quite interesting. Thank God they were possibly not making much money than him because they were so warped into a genocidal way of looking at things. Great job. <laughs> Thank God they were quite poor. But um, uh, the Bill Gates Foundation is helping something like 100 million people um, who are in absolute poverty to try to uh, get out of it, really. <laughs> so that's one person and his wealth who's helping 100 million people. However cynical, oh yeah, he's selling more, he's getting people more access to computers so he can sell more computers so he can make more money. Okay, but when you got jack shit <laughs> and you're in poverty completely, maybe having access to a computer and some technology is actually quite interesting for you to be able to communicate, to get macro credits and to get uh, get things going and your entrepreneurial spirit and uh, taking your kids out of poverty, all those kind of stuff really, how and having prospect really. How many of those people were communicated and asked and and interviewed? About mm -hmm. what they thought about being given about, I don't know. technology. I don't know. Well, probably none. Uh -huh. I'm not entirely sure that that many people in that area would have been that upset about him doing what he's doing uh -huh. with technology. And malaria as well. He's like, mm -hmm. he's doing a, a very... Like, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's malaria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's malaria. Uh, although I can't find it. No, no, it's malaria. You're that right. has killed something like... 25 or 30% of all of the people that have ever died. Yeah. It is a massive mm -hmm. issue. Mm. And Apart from some people who seem to have a genetic mutation and they've got sickle cell anemia. Brilliant. Because their hemoglobin is not quite the same. And if they got recessive dominant type uh, pattern, not completely dominant because it's a bit of a... A difficult uh, life, but those who have the two genes uh, tend to have a bit of a um, more easy way with uh, malaria. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's another story. But that's 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 just an interesting thing, isn't it? It doesn't yeah. matter what anyone does with their their the gold coins that they've spent a long time, and yeah, a bit of luck and a bit of whatever and mm -hmm. hard work and. Mm -hmm. And, and, vision, then, and, and then he decides with his wife to do this thing, and then he just gets gets destroyed. I mean, it. Oh, it, he's not destroyed because he carries on. Wow. And he plows. He doesn't really listen. Like he they doesn't listen like to a minority yeah. of people. Uh, that the thing really is is helping hundred mil, ninety million, ninety seven million, hundred million, however, and it's. Some people are going to be a bit cynical and say it's not very easy. But those people who criticize Bill Gates, how many people do they help? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's you it. help, yeah. uh, you know, a, a few people, but yeah. you you don't help more than mm -hmm. a thousand mm -hmm. every year or, it, it. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, thousand and three because I've got my wife and my two kids. Well, that's it, yeah. And thousand and four, because we can put you in the thing as well. But no, no. The whole thing is how many people you help as well as uh, uh, with your skills in IT, really. Yeah, well, uh, that's, 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 that's what I was going to talk about at the start. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I probably do need to go in a minute. So it might be a nice place to um, just talk about an Later, yeah, yeah. Is we're just getting warmed up a bit. You always talk to me. Where are you going to put your dopamine? Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. where are you and where do you put your dopamine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, people have been talking more recently about attention. Where are you going to put your attention? Because mm -hmm. we know for a fact that the place that you put your attention the most ends up, you know, being what, how you look at the world and how, how you are. And then... And now it happens. And then, yeah. And now it's transformed. And then another way of looking at that is white privilege. Mm -hmm. and black privilege in the UK like if you're black and you're in the UK obviously you've got some privilege there maybe not as much as a white person who knows also you think but where are you going to put that privilege mm -hmm. that's it that's it it's not it's not about I'm not going to sit back and I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to sulk over what people of the same colour mm -hmm. me have done in the past and the people of different colour have done 
to like how they've done different things to me in the past. I think it might be a better idea to really, really focus on where you're putting your dopamine, where you're putting your attention and how you're going to use your white privilege or whatever privilege, whatever privilege you have and you've got many, mm-hmm. how are you going to use that? And Bill Gates accumulated loads of wealth and now he's taken a step back from his company. He's not mm-hmm. even really allowed to talk about his company anymore just mm-hmm. in case people sue him and cause the company issues. Mm-hmm. And he decides to set up a foundation with his wife and then they're mm-hmm. busy off they go doing their thing and trying to make a positive impact on mm-hmm. a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. That's quite great. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And I don't know, I don't know Jeff Bezos, of course, but mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of Amazon, but it's mm-hmm. been really handy for me in the past, for sure. Mm-hmm. And in the lockdown, especially people absolutely hate him mm-hmm. and they hate how much his business has grown over lockdown. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit worried about it because I don't want to have, I don't want to have a world without the middle class, without the independent businesses, because it's the independent businesses that are going to be hurt, and a world without them and just the giants and all these middle class people are going to have to go back to working in a supermarkets thing. Nothing wrong with that, but mm-hmm. it's very good to have that independent business that everyone mm-hmm. loves. Mm-hmm. But doesn't never use. But never uses. Mm-hmm. It's but not a new we, thing. Huh? We don't know what this guy's going to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it relies so much on his moral compass. Yeah, because he could so. he could uh, develop uh, some bio weapon and try to uh, mix uh, Ebola with uh, uh, smallpox and uh, infest all the lower class people and uh, and all the working class people to kill them slowly. He could do that because he got all the money. But how fucked up would that be, really? Yeah, quite fucked up. Yeah, that's it. So I think we have, we have to believe in the moral compass of people who actually have had the clout and uh, effort. And because he, uh, Bezos hasn't uh, got uh, one of the richest person on earth by doing fuck all and stay, and stay, and sitting on his uh, on his sofa watching TV. He's got up early in the morning. He's really orientated. He's got a very good plan. And he was there at the right time, at the right moment. How many of us have got opportunities that present themselves in front of us and that we don't take? And had we take, taken them, we might have actually done quite a good job, really. Mm. And that's a bit the whole thing at times, really. It's um, the rest, really. How many people just allow themselves to stay in a trance for a very long extended period of time mm-hmm. without questioning where, where that trance mm-hmm. is putting their attention. Mm-hmm. We, we got the Nazis, which was quite a bit like a generalized trance a little bit. And we, we've got like the European community and the way the whole thing is being done and so detached the whole top uh, administrative part is so detached from the real people and it becomes such a tower of Babel that the one uh, thing it starts to uh, make people want to go back to is nationalistic uh, thing and we get our elbows together and we are the Teutonic race and we are the elite we are the ones who are going to uh, kill everybody who are not the same as us and all the race and thing and you can see the far right going back up really and that fascist way or national socialist way of uh, going about doing things really because there's an economic way of thinking about with that as well really and then we got that the postmodernists who want to destroy history because otherwise it doesn't really put them into a very good light and their ancestors either and the limitations they have and they want that collectivist and communist way of uh, doing things really you have to cultivate your garden and get your cucumber from your garden and everybody can get redistributed the land because it's great because it has worked so well before <laughs> it was such a fuck up but We still want others to actually do things for us and all the rest, really, and not having to do too much. Because if you don't turn to turn up to work in uh, Soviet uh, Russia, well, it doesn't really matter, really, because who cares, really? <laughs> That's it, really. So the direction is interesting, and it's still the same two directions. 
and there will be in the middle, there's the green, there's all the rest, the politic part of it, and the economic models are still uh, one or the other. It's still a bit the whole thing, really. Or do we need the economic model to change? Or do we need humans to look at the whole problem themselves and in themselves and realize what it is they can do and how they do it and how easy certain things are done and how it give you get, take you down into the rabbit hole or other things who are a little bit more difficult and it keeps you just ahead above the bottom of the rabbit hole and others who are very difficult to do who take you out of uh, uh, the rabbit hole. You might fall into a different rabbit hole by actually coming out of the one you're in. So that's why maybe you don't really want to come out of it. <laughs> But who knows what's on the other side, really. What was the expression and a little uh, thing I said from the things the other day, um, which was really quite an interesting uh, thing. And when the stuff I sent you the other day, and I can't remember... Ah, that's it, that's it, that's it, exactly. Um, confined in the dark, narrow cage of our own making, which we take for the whole universe, very few of us can even begin to imagine another dimension of reality. Maybe it's great to stay in your own rabbit hole confined in the dark narrow cage of our own making which we take for the whole universe mm -hmm. very few of us can even begin to imagine another dimension of reality mm -hmm. so we limit ourselves to maybe not have to contend with the possibilities the other possibilities that are in front of us really Um, some of us are able to con to um, look at another model of reality, potentially. Oh, maybe Mr. Bezos was one of those. <laughs> and maybe he didn't come uh, to him very easily, basically. Oh, we, and uh, my hero at the moment, because I'm completely obsessed by space and all those kind of stuff, and Elon Musk wanting to make us interplanetary, basically. And he's uh, going at it. There's no patent, no nothing. He's open source. He's plowing through implementation and he's analyzing the stuff. He uses a scientific method. He's changing the whole stuff. He's remodeling the thing. He's re-engineering the stuff. And then he's putting massive cylinders, nine meter in diameter, uh, up in the air with methane uh, based uh, engines which are going to be able to be um, taken you can take your uh, spacecraft to mars you land it and then using the co2 and the water on mars you can create the methane and the oxygen to fill your tank again so you don't even have to take the uh, fuel for the return journey You can go to Titan, you can go to all the rest of the solar system with a lot, because methane is CH4 and oxygen is O2, and there's plenty of CO2 and H2O, really, because CH4 plus 2O2 equal CO2 plus 2H2O. H2H2. 2H2O. Uh, carbon dioxide plus water But plus two water plus two water two h2o is yeah and uh, no not yeah two h2o equals two h2o plus C one co2 equals ch4 plus two o2 o2 yeah okay So you can work both sides. So you can burn the methane with oxygen to get the propellant for your rocket. And once you get to the place, you can take the carbon dioxide and the water and then transform it into methane and oxygen. And then you can liquefy it, put it back in your tank and then go. How freaking awesome is that? So you develop an engine and the first full flow type engine like that. You develop new technologies, the whole starship that is... Um, 
or BFR that is developing all the rest is uh, fire tested the second one uh, just now and he hoped the first one that's the second one then he's going to put the flap the belly flap he's looking at a different way of re-entering into the atmosphere all the rest and thing it's absolutely like so you can enter places where there's no atmosphere you can enter places where there's atmosphere you can <laughs> is yeah once and you need people who well I think he was PayPal and he's reinvested all his money into the venture and he could have all capsized and he took a gamble and an educated gamble and he surrounded himself by people they are all motivated they will all work during COVID all those kind of stuff to try to get ro rocket seal big metal metal cylinder up in bloody thing in in the air really and they've got rockets that are reusable and they drop the price of uh, uh, putting things into space all the rest everybody's up in arm about his his um internet uh, type uh, thing in uh, space and all the all the starlink uh, satellite is putting for astronomer i'm an astronomer and he's going to pollute the whole lot but he's going to be able to access internet everywhere apart from in the bloody north pole and antarctica for everybody who who wants really the whole lot really so um, this visionary people and 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 it doesn't go without risk that the world lot really and the most important thing in my opinion from what you said is that whether they see the world in a different dimension to us or not is is another thing but they definitely have a different view of reality to us mm -hmm. and they definitely have access to more information mm -hmm. on the global scale on the on the on a different stage to what we have individually mm -hmm. and that's what i always say to anyone who mm -hmm doesn't like any of these people mm -hmm. you you can't really cast judgment mm -hmm. you don't know what it's like to do what they've done mm -hmm. and be who they are mm -hmm. and you have no idea what their future plans are going to be like mm -hmm. yeah okay they've got a lot of money mm -hmm. yeah okay in your opinion they should be giving that money away which doesn't work that's mm -hmm. been done doesn't mm -hmm. work you can't force an imbalance like that that big mm -hmm. but you don't know what they're going to do in the future that's it that's it that's it i have to go good let's